0: I'm Josh Wall
1: and I'm Lexi Cutmore.
0: Frankly, I love movies
1: and frankly, I love true stories.
0: Welcome to our podcast where we dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. We are continuing our uh, In the Real World series today. How are you feeling today, Lexi?
1: I am the most excited to talk about this.
0: Me too. It's really it's going to be a great one but we couldn't do it alone. We have the wonderful back from a 3-year hiatus from the show. Uh the wonderful Tim Skinner is here with us today. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for uh Hosting here in our lovely brand new podcasting studios at it is, SUNY Broom.
0: It is an <laughs> honor to be the first thing that is recorded here. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. No, no problem. Um, so we're talking about all the President's Men today. Um, yeah. Lexi, we knew when we were doing this series, this was one that we had to do. Like this mm-hmm. was kind of the first title that we landed on. Why would you say that?
1: Well, first of all, it was the only one we immediately said, it has to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for both of us being communications majors, or at least former, mm-hmm It rings so true to what we wanted to do in our lives. And especially, you know, I think both of us kind of follow politics. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting to see what the world of journalism has to offer.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it's such a... A staple of communications. And I mean, we saw it the first time I saw it, Tim was in your class.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, same for
2: me. Writing for the media? Yep. Yep. The
0: the only class of yours I took for reasons that we're not going to get into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Not not personal. (laughs) What is your relationship to this movie? I mean, you show it all the time in class. You even told me that, like, you just, it's one of those you could just kind of hit play in your brain and it goes through it. Like, what is your relationship to the movie?
2: Oh, absolutely. Well, One, uh, teaching intro to mass media, teaching writing for the media, uh, especially writing for the media. It's like Woodward and Bernstein are one of those cornerstones. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to have a Mount Rushmore of journalism, those two are automatically there. Like I don't think anyone who becomes a journalist won't say like, "Eh, maybe Woodward, but not Bernstein. Mm -hmm. Like they're there. They had they had that story. They had that time frame. Mm -hmm. And with uh, with the film, it's really interesting because it happened it all happened so fast. Mm-hmm. So like Watergate happens in the early 70s right up until about 73 74 is mm-hmm. when uh, I believe when Nixon finally decides he's going to resign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and the story is is built Woodward and Bernstein pretty much write the book on the in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like almost as it's going, release the book and then Robert Redford 2 years after Watergate Mm -hmm. I think it's 76 when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So it's such a fast turnaround, but Mm -hmm. also, I mean, really more for the educational side. Like it's one of the ones, uh, like they'll say, like, uh, I'd imagine probably Saving Private Ryan will be one of these in your series, maybe at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, They used to say Saving Private Ryan, uh, soldiers and veterans of World War II in Normandy would say that's the closest you could get to being a soldier Mm -hmm. on that day at that time on film. Mm -hmm. I feel it's the same way with All the President's Men. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. is the closest you're going to get to what it's like being a journalist and the work that's put into being a journalist, you know, Mm -hmm. without the usual like, well, today we follow Woodward as he goes to, you know, the town board meeting or something that's not necessarily as you know, dramatic mm-hmm. and, and suspenseful as all the presidents men. Right,
0: right, yeah. So, yeah, so we both saw this in your class um, in 2018. Lexi, what were your first impressions of it? How is this movie, how did this movie affect you the first time, and how has it grown in your estimation since?
1: So, very interesting question, because when I saw it, also for the first time in your class, mm-hmm. I was an aspiring journalist. I thought it's where I wanted to go, but, you know, there's always that caveat of like i might get to my four year and say this is not what i want to do with my life so for me i don't think the impact of the film had what it does now watching their process of oh i'm going to like like the start of reaching out to people for Mm -hmm. interviews right even something as simple as that Mm -hmm back then seemed like oh that can't be that complicated you know you just call somebody up and say hey were you willing to talk um but now having been in the industry at least for a small amount of time Mm -hmm. you know the way that they would approach people over the phone or in person saying you don't have to you know go on record or you don't have to say directly yes or no to something Mm -hmm. the skill that it takes in order to do that, the kind of sensitivity you have to have as a journalist is something that resonates with me. You know, mm-hmm. having done more investigative pieces before,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's brilliant. What yeah. they do mm-hmm. is truly brilliant. But mm-hmm. I don't think I had that kind of appreciation the first time that I watched it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's an internal struggle. Woodward and Bernstein, the actual Woodward and Bernstein, have said that they felt one of the ones that they felt guilty interviewing the most and asking for information the most um, was Hugh Sloan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, his his wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, he was heavily involved. And they always said, like, we always felt so bad going to his door to knock on him, you know, or knock on the door, that is, for more information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they also said on the flip side, the first thing, uh, and this is... direct quote, even in the movie, they made sure to include it, was Mrs. Sloan answers the door and says, this is an honest house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they said, as a journalist, that's all you can ask for, is someone who's going to be honest and forthright with you as best as possible. But it, it, and it is, there, and you, you see it in kind of montage form in All the mm-hmm. President's Men, the doors getting slammed in faces. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's not that dramatic. You know, it's a polite yeah. no or something like that. But it is that process, like going to person to person mm-hmm. to person to try to get something, anything, mm-hmm. and knowing how to, um, one, have the sensitivity mm-hmm. Um, to address the situation, but also to have the tenacity when the door gets shut in your face, not to throw up your hands by the time you get to the fifth door and go, well, all right, no one's talking. I'm not going to do this story now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and to keep going and pursuing uh, and having that pursuit of truth. Yeah. um, It's one of those key elements of journalism that no matter what it's gone to today, Mm -hmm. like in the more digital format, it's still around. Mm-hmm. Like, you still have to ask people questions. You still have to get that information. You still have to get that quote. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, there's a lot when you watch it now, there's not a lot of moments where you're like, oh, they wouldn't do that. Like, that. Like f- for the most part, you are, like, so engulfed in the story. And that was the thing that I kind of took away from it the most from, like, my from the first time to now was, like, how just well told a story it is. And, you know, for all three of us, you know, we come at it in a different angle from a journalistic perspective, from an educational perspective. But from a filmmaking perspective, it's such a feat. Like, I was watching it, like, the first time I remember how tense it was and how you can really feel the struggle and how it feels like you're watching someone and you're not supposed to be, and it, like, Mm -hmm. feels so good. And then this, like, last night I was watching it, and I was like, this movie has... It's got Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, Jason Robards, directed by Alan J. Bakula. It's written by William Goldman. It's got uh, Gordon Willis, and that doesn't even scratch the surface as to mm-hmm. why it's one of right. the greatest films like ever. It's so it's such a feat and it only gets better with time. And I was watching it last night and I was just like, everything is just firing on all cylinders. And it works as a procedural, it works just as a good narrative, it works as a, an educational like mm-hmm. story, and it's so tense, it like really gets your emotion. It's so so great! Like, do you feel? Do you feel it resonate with your students every year? Do you get like a mix? Like, how do you? How does it Absol- play with students?
2: Absolutely. Um, most most of the students, the the first reaction is, did that really happen? Did uh, Woodward have to go to a parking garage at four in the morning and yeah. send these signals through his flower pot where he sticks like <laughs> a flag? And mm-hmm. um, and it's like, yeah, he he absolutely did. Mm-hmm. You know, nowadays I have to say nowadays now, um, but based off of recent stories that are coming out and have come Mm -hmm. out, and what's going on in current events, for some students it's not necessarily as surprising as it was in the past. Mm -hmm. But Watergate really is a turning point in journalist uh, journalism history because you have you know the struggle with the First Amendment and uh, is the president. Able to be held accountable for their actions mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah. What are the What are the repercussions of that? Um, and it it just it's it's fascinating to know that that was the point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we almost got to two hundred years as a country. Yeah. And then had this controversy. Mm -hmm. And from there on out, what it's done is you have, you know, journalists that are really following the president's every step, every move. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the past, maybe they might have known some stuff about a president, but they didn't necessarily like I, I had heard stories that, you know, the journalists knew about, say, like John F. Kennedy and his affairs. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't think that that would, you know, back in those uh, back in that time period, that wasn't reported on. Whereas now, you know, uh, again, every every little step along the way mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form is is reported on.
1: But the right? way that they show pitch meetings, you mm-hmm. know, when they sit down and they're like. We've got this story for the day. Where do we want to slap it in the newspaper? That is one thing that's a little bit of like a time capsule in there because now it seems like a story comes up and you're pretty much told, "Hey, run with it." Mm-hmm. But to have something that would cause so much attention in today's world for them to go, "I don't think there's a story here." That's the thing that's the craziest part to mm-hmm.
2: me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and and it was a struggle that and that's uh, I'm glad you brought up that point because that's a very interesting struggle that they that you get to kind of witness, you know, through dramatic purposes. But you get to witness it uh, behind the scenes. What's a story? What's not a story? Should we include this? You know, at one point, uh, Ben Bradley, uh, who's the uh, editor of The Washington Post at the time, uh, goes to Woodward and Bernstein and says, hey, you're getting ready to call the attorney general a crook. hmm that's a big deal. Yeah, you we're going to do it. I want to
0: be right. Yeah, you better
2: make <laughs> sure you have it right. And they only made one misstep along the way. Mm-hmm. But you also see a little bit of the repercussions of that, too, where it's like, ooh, they made a misstep. Now doubt is in play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And now uh, uh, it moves forward, and eventually they get the evidence. And, uh, again, they, they, feel, they still feel that they weren't necessarily wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Woodward has been quoted in interviews as saying, we we didn't feel like we were wrong, but we felt that logic led us to that point. Mm-hmm. But logic's also not a source. Yeah.
3: yeah. Uh-huh.
2: So you could say, yeah, I could see where this happened and this is right, mm-hmm. but without those sources, without the material to back it up, um, but the weight does it go above the fold? Does it go below the fold? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it swing? Um, so in, in other words, if a story that it might be on the front page. For uh, a certain newspaper that's that goes national and has a national edition, uh, is this story a front page story for our local area, but it swings and it gets, uh, you know, maybe page six mm-hmm. in another area? It's there. And, and, yeah. and, that, and that fight is still there. Now, it might be different where it's like, where does it land on the page?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, where do people see it first? How far do you scroll down before you get to it? Some of that's still there, Mm -hmm. uh, but with the internet and more room, it's like, like you said, like everything's a story. Yeah. Yeah. And it could lead to somewhere now. And if it doesn't, it just kind of floats away. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to do some quick specs on the movie. So, All the President's Men came out in 1976 about uh, Woodward and Bernstein's take on the Watergate scandal. It stars Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman as Woodward and Bernstein. And uh, Hal Holbrook as Deep Throat, we'll get to him. Same with Jason Robards as Ben Brandly. Um Directed by Alan J. Pakula, who is a master of the thriller of the 70s and one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. Written by William Goldman, who's just... Oh, I love William Goldman so much. Um, this movie, uh, I want to do some quick Oscars um, specs, too, because I think this is an interesting part of the story to, to at least gauge what other movies were coming around around this time. Does, any, do you know, does anyone know what won Best Picture over All the President's Men? You got me. In 76? Uh-huh. Is it Rocky? It is Rocky. Very oh, good, there yeah. There you go. So Rocky won. All the President's Men was nominated along with Bound for Glory, Network and Taxi Driver. This year is also the year of Carrie, it's also the year of Marathon Man and Voyage of the Damned and Face to Face and Seven Beauties. There's so many great um fictional stories here. I mean like four of the five best picture nominees here I think like instantly went to iconic status. Mm-hmm. Rocky, All the President's Men, Network and Taxi Driver, Bound for Glory is not really talked about all that much these days, but especially cool seeing like you know, the two pieces of this puzzle here being All the President's Men and Network, two movies that are fundamental to media and where mm-hmm. we are today. Um, and then you also have like our, our tourism coming in full swing with Taxi Driver winning the Palm d'Or and Scorsese becoming like a star in his own right. It's really cool that in this year, like All the President's Men is the most like well-regarded true true story Mm -hmm. quote unquote because I mean obviously it's a it's a fictional retelling but it's told in such a fictional way and I think that this and I'm so this is another reason why I'm so glad we did this for this series that this one this you know biographical drama is the one that everyone builds off of Mm -hmm. this is the not the start but this is the one that everyone goes back to and every movie and one since then that we're going to talk about in this series has direct influence from this movie I feel with the way the story unfolds with the use of tension with it playing with your emotions the total um commitment from everyone who's on board bringing in their specific styles of Pakula's use of thrillers and William Goldman's great story structure and Gordon Willis's you know the prince of darkness and cinematography how Mm -hmm. dark this movie is you know Mm -hmm. that's great and then you have the two biggest key pieces of this puzzle which are Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford Mm -hmm. and Robert Redford using his star power to get this book and made into a movie and then you pair him, you know, the most attractive movie star of his era and most well-regarded actor, pairing him with the most like method and um, systemic actor in Dustin Hoffman is a match made in heaven. Um, That's why I also like really love that that like also shows their relationship in the movie. Like they're two completely different actors and two completely different stars And in the movie, they're two different complete, they're completely different reporters. Um, And so I just think that there's so much in this movie that has been built upon in the movies that we're going to talk about in all of other biopics and biographical dramas that have come from it. It all starts here. It's so fascinating. It's so
2: cool. Yeah. And and that particular event, um, it's almost like the movie that Mm -hmm. launched a thousand movies. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, So you have all the president's men, which Mm -hmm. comes out and then... All the stuff kind of surrounding Nixon and Watergate and the era, you get a whole series. I think we were talking about the other day, like it's almost like a quadrilogy now mm-hmm. because directors and, and uh, movie producers have gone back and mm-hmm. they've they've done a movie on Chappaquiddick, yeah. which without the Chappaquiddick event, you don't have the burglars breaking into Democratic headquarters mm-hmm. to look into Ted Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, you have Frost Nixon, which is essentially... Mm-hmm. Uh, David Frost and Richard Nixon's uh, another uh, dramatic movie uh, reinterpretation mm-hmm. where you get a confession from Richard Nixon finally. Yeah. Uh, you, you even almost have its, its Rogue One um, in the trial of, of the Chicago 7 that's on Netflix. Right. Uh-huh. Because the undertones of uh, Richard Nixon wanting to get all those people uh, that were involved in that trial – and it all stems back into Watergate, and you go, oh, it all goes back to the pre- all the president's men,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, or even the Post, like yeah. kind of the story that leads right into this. Yes, the Post. That was <laughs> thank
2: you. That was the fourth one that I was trying to think yeah. of, like, uh, and and couldn't. Um, but uh, yeah, it it all ties in mm-hmm. to this one event, yeah, and how it unfolds and how people react to it, and go, wait, this is someone you know, that we have revered or at least an office that has been revered for decades. And this happens. Yeah. <laughs> and this happens here. To go to your other point with the dedication, uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman actually went out uh, to prepare for this. He actually went out as reporter mm-hmm. for The Washington Post with... Uh, the team, And they said it actually got to the point where they had to ask him not to. Yeah. Because they would go to scenes and like, you know, if it was like a fire or something, the fireman would stop sometimes and be like, hey, you're Dustin Hoffman. Can I get a photo with you? Or Can I get an <laughs> autograph? You know, um, they didn't have the cell phones for the selfies back then. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's still cameras around. Yeah. Um, but he was too much a distraction and bringing too much of a crowd to events. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he so. was also
1: with the post for like six weeks.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm
1: was a long time yeah. <laughs> just be shadowing reporters.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's, he's in it to win it again that methodness of like coming in as an actor and uh, Redford coming in as a movie star and you know those two completely different mindsets being paired together in this um prestige drama is just um is fascinating. And I just think that this is a movie that it stands the test of time because it's about some of the most fundamental, not even just like storytelling topics, but just topics in general. Obviously, it's about journalism, mm-hmm. but it's about trust. It's about mm-hmm. truth. It's about communication. It's about writing. It's about the power of the press. It's about the power of the spoken word. It's about the power of belief and like how you persuade people. And like, it's, I love that the fact that they open the movie with a typewriter and they close the movie with a typewriter. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that all like really gets a, is a perfect, like, Opening and bookend of the uh, of the meaning of trying to get into the idea that like what is written is powerful. This has power, in it like when the keys are just like slamming. They're just yeah. like, punching you right in the face yeah. with the with the timeline. It's amazing.
2: It, it wakes some people up when you push play yeah. for the first time. <laughs> like, someone's in class, and you
0: bam. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just like oh so, my god. I
1: think something else that it captures really well, which I again when I first saw it, I wouldn't have realized mm-hmm. is what it's like to be a green reporter on a heavy story yeah mm-hmm.
2: and 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 that is uh an, an attribute tribute to both of them uh woodward was brand new uh they actually assigned him the court case that uh, of the break in and and the defendants the burglars from from the break in they assigned him that story and th- that by the way that that kind of arraignment was on a saturday and even uh, uh Uh, Woodward has said, well, they called me up because they figured, well, I was a new kid. So being a rookie, I was willing to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then when the admission first comes out where it's like the lead burglar worked for the CIA, that's when he was like, oh, boy, we've got something here. Mm -hmm. Um, Bernstein had a few years under his belt, but not a lot. They were both fairly new reporters Mm -hmm. like Bernstein had a few more years Uh, And had some of that experience and some of those connections to be able to talk to uh, some of the other sources. But it's a really interesting mashup because they've both admitted that uh, had they sat down and said, hey, let's work together, they probably would have went, eh, nah. Yeah. But because they were assigned to work together, um, you know, uh, both of them have different political ide- ideologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them couldn't be more opposite. You know, it's the literal journalistic odd couple. Yeah. Um, but to see them come together and work together and say, OK, we have this thing. Let's move forward and let's work to find the truth, mm-hmm. um, not just a spin on it, um, is, is a credit to them.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. And I mean, it's uh, obviously it's important to note that the. Um, you know, the New York Times was also following the story very heavily. And I had forgotten how often they actually do reference that in the movie. There are a couple times where they're like, oh, the Times picks this up and we have to kind of act on mm-hmm. it. So I don't think it's like it's not a total omission. But a lot of people do come to this movie as like the full on Watergate story. And I want to pose this question before we get into the critical stuff specifically for you, Lexi, because um, I think You know, when we go into these movies, a lot of people look at them as like historical records and Mm -hmm. this movie in particular, I'll talk about the directing style, but it kind of feels like a documentary in that way because it feels so natural and you're just kind of getting confessions out of people in a weird way. When you go into this, like, do you think it's, you know, wrong or like kind of unsettling or, you know, doesn't sit right? that they omit certain things or that, um, you know, just the way that the story's told, like, are you going to this taking like, this is a historical document or are you like, this is a really good movie? Like, what do you go into it thinking?
1: I think it's a, it's easy to get lost in it mm-hmm. because, and I was reading this the other day that, um, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman memorized each other's scripts mm-hmm. and the way that they'll cut each other off and yeah. talk over each other. It is kind of like, Oh, I'm I'm just sitting in the newsroom with them. Yeah, you know, uh I just heard overheard someone say that. Mm -hmm. So that element, I could see where people would be like, this is a documentary. Mm -hmm. It has to be, but you know, at the end of the day, like they are doing their fair share of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's been said that the movie's almost as accurate as it can be. Yeah, but there's obviously things that they did and said and things that happen that you're not seeing in this right? but it does seem fairly accurate you know
0: yeah I mean they touch it up for drama and they kind of have to you kind of go into these things expecting them to kind of amp it up a little bit but the angle that they come about it as very naturalistic and realistic I think works what do you think Tim
2: yeah I I really think I mean they really they got so entrenched in making this movie and trying to make it as accurate as possible that they were shipping garbage Literal trash from the Washington Post Mm -hmm. to put into the garbage cans Mm -hmm. on the set where they were filming. Yeah. You would think they were filming in Washington. Uh Uh, Most of the movies actually filmed out in L.A. There's a few location shots uh, to to let you know you're in Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. um, uh, setting-wise. But, I mean, they they really uh, try to strive for as accurate of a story as possible, which um even which was a tough tough part when you get to uh interview x or interview 1 mm-hmm. which is what's uh deep throat is actually called in the journalism notes mm-hmm. uh he's given then the nickname when they start to write the book you know that little anecdote pops in right um but and even with that they didn't know at that time they still that that's what uh, boggles my mind with with this particular uh part of it is that they would not tell the director like Woodward and Bernstein did not tell the directors. They didn't tell anybody. Only the uh, Woodward and Bernstein, the actual Woodward and Bernstein, and uh, the man who eventually gets um, revealed as Mark Feld mm-hmm. um, are the ones that know who this informant is yeah. in the in the parking garage. And you sit there and you are like. Hell, Holbrook is not too far off.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it could have been a woman.
2: Yeah, well, there was speculation at the time that uh, it could have even have been Diane Sawyer, who, who was mm-hmm. uh, who becomes a, a big, well-known journalist uh, in her own right. But at that time, she was a speechwriter for Richard Nixon and his team. Uh, there was all sorts of theories and speculations going around as to. Uh, who it was and it's interesting to go back to interviews and actually see Mark Feld have to deny it be like no wasn't me at all Um, uh, next question
1: I would be remiss if I didn't mention you know as far as film goes Uh music is such a big part of film there's almost no score in this movie and I think that's part of where Mm -hmm. you get lost in like this is a movie, we're not watching a documentary. Yeah, right?
0: uh-huh. But the use of music is so good. Like, mm-hmm. with when he's walking through the the parking garage one night and you hear that, like, boom,
1: yeah. boom.
0: Yeah. It's so, like, oh, it's so eerie because you're just, like, so creeped out and you think there's something, like, right behind you. And, like, well, uh, it's phenomenal. And, and you get the jump scare, right, where he yeah. starts
2: running and then he turns around and he goes, huh, and it yeah. makes you tense up too because you think oh he's turned around that means there's somebody there and then there's no one there Mm -hmm.
0: yeah you guys have any other general thoughts or should we get into the critical stuff
1: good to go let's go let's let's go go. to the
0: critical breakdown um there's so much to talk about here uh i want to start with some of the performances because i always this is always a hard question to answer which is why we're going to try and answer it but whose movie is this in your mind is it a is it a hoffman movie is it a redford movie is it a Jason Robards movie? Because every time I watch it, and I've seen it like three or four times now, I focus on someone else. Like this time around, I was like really honing in on Redford. I was like, yeah, he's really fucking good. But there are times where you focus on Hoffman. And every time Robards is on screen, you're like, wow, that is that is an actor. Like who, who do you guys like kind of drift towards?
2: I'd kind of drift more towards Jason Robards. Yeah. Um, and it might be more from... You know, uh, the position that I'm in now where it's mm-hmm. a little bit more of a leadership management role and I have to make a decision, you know, kind of going back and seeing how he, as Ben Bradley, made mm-hmm. a decision uh, was, was very interesting to yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it's behind the scenes, you, you know, you probably almost have to hand it to Redford because yeah. he was the one who used his Hollywood weight to say, mm-hmm. we're making this yeah. and I don't care if it's a bomb, but... Mm-hmm. I'm Robert Redford, and we're making this. Mm -hmm. And in the 1970s, that's a, uh uh-huh, yes, sir. How how much money would you
0: like, sir? Yes, yes, Bob. (laughs) 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 What do you think, Lexi?
1: Um, I want to say at least, you know, it changes every time you watch it. Mm -hmm. But this time around, because I kind of wanted to go into it being like, if it were me, how would I have thought about this? Uh And it's definitely Redford just because the the way he shows his approach mm-hmm. you know to journalism is something that i could relate to far mm-hmm. more you know there's the the first scene when he makes his very first phone call and i can remember when i sat down to do my investigative piece and the person finally answered mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. see it in his face where he goes oh shit like yeah. what yeah. do i say now <laughs> yeah.
0: that and you guys of, speak spanish yeah. <laughs> well, yeah i mean english spanish yeah um, uh, is this
2: on the record or is this <laughs> off the record or Can we go to cassette tape? I mean, no, not tape. Uh.
0: It's so good because he's at the center of the frame, like Mm -hmm. so much of Mm -hmm. the time, and he's like the beating, like heart of this movie. And yeah, using his star power, and like, but he's also so good. Like you automatically like are like, yeah, that's a guy I can trust. I mean, yeah, he's one of the most beautiful people that's ever been on screen. But he's like so, he's charismatic, but he's so smart. Mm -hmm. Like you know, he knows what he's talking about, and that's why I think it's so cool. You know, at times when you go back and forth between him and Hoffman. And they're totally different approaches. Like Redford, just even as a as an actor and a movie star, is very uh, kind of contained and very put together, and kind of leads with his mm-hmm. chest. Whereas Hoffman is this really short, energetic guy who leads with his head and is kind of neurotic. Yeah. And again, that method actor style. And he's like the way he's like, so, like smoking all the time and moving all. Like is there any t- place you don't smoke? Is there any place you don't smoke? And he's just like <laughs> well, typing everywhere. It was like the everywhere. 1970s. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like he's typing and like just going so fast. I love that first scene with them because it shows, again, there are different approaches where Hoffman's like, you know, fixing the wording. And he's like, I'm just touching up, you know, it was good. And then. Redford is all about the facts. He's like, I don't care what you did. I mind the way you did it. You know, mm-hmm. it's so good. And you're like, okay, these guys are polar opposites. Yeah. It's fantastic. And,
2: and even there, there's a small shot where uh, Hoffman's smoking mm-hmm. and he uh, flicks his cigarette and gets a little bit of the ash on the, on the couch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just this little moment where like uh, uh, Redford kind of looks at Hoffman like, Really, dude? You, you, you did that? And he and he wipes up, you know, the the ash off of the mm-hmm. couch, you know, just that small little communication of yeah, they're polar opposites. You know, one is very clean mm-hmm. and organized, and the other one is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it I mean, is
1: kind of enjoyable to watch you know Dustin Hoffman because he's so unhinged oh yeah you know the way he would go up to somebody's door and be like can I come in and then just walk in yeah it's insane
0: <laughs> yeah it's it, it is it is pretty wild yeah. uh,
2: I just need to light my cigarette can I just come in for a second yeah. well while I'm here yeah. I'm gonna
0: and then he's he's in there for like five minutes and that seems yeah. so long um no but they're both like just so good and they, I like how you know they become so synonymous with one another and it becomes like you know when Robards is like, you know, Woodstein, you know, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. compare them together, which is so great. Um, and even like in the beginning when they're first talking, like they're talking over each other and they're cutting each other like, no, that's not true. I like he, he was talking like at this point, he never said this. And it's so good to see like even at moments when they're like on their highest of high, like after they talk to the woman who's like LMP, you know, yeah. and he's like walking around the, the bedroom and like they're all typing is like, I don't want a cookie. I don't want, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's so it's so great because Robert Redford is just like locked in. And, you know, it'd be like if we did this, Tim, and you were just sitting there talking, and I was, like, running around, the, like, this table yeah. in a circle, essentially. <laughs> yeah. It's so great and energy, and, like, again, it gives the cameramen a lot to work with because they're moving, like, all around. And it's just, it's so, so great. Great chemistry between them. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Um. I want to do more on Robards, though, because you tapped into it that he's a leader. But mm-hmm. it's not just that. It's another guy that as soon as he comes on, you realize, like, not only is he in charge of everything, he knows what he's doing. He's seen a lot of shit. He's been through so much. I don't know if that's necessarily just the knowledge of the myth behind Ben Bradley, but like, there's something so weathered and seasoned about Jason Robards that you just love him. And whenever he's talking on screen, you're like, I'm gonna hear every single word. Like, that whole monologue that he has at the end when he's outside. You know, it's like nothing's riding on this except the First Amendment of the Constitution freedom of the press and, you know, the history of this country. Not that any of that matters. Like, it's so good. You're just like, please, just tell me more. You know, it's so, And it's that
2: very dry sarcasm Mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, no big deal. Give five minutes rest. You know, the country could burn down, you know, but we'll see. (laughs)
1: But they do – they give him his moments, you know, where – they're in their editorial meeting and mm-hmm. he's like i trust my boys yeah, like, yeah. That's... stand by our
0: story yeah mm-hmm. it's so so great like you believe him as a boss but you mm-hmm. believe him as a human being too he's not like he almost becomes this cool roadblock that they have to get around because like he's the wall that they have to climb they have to get his approval but he's on their side you're like oh, i know what you're doing but like let us run with the story <laughs> god damn it you know yeah. Like, it's so great. I love it. I love Jason Robards. And he won the Oscar for this movie as well, he Mm -hmm. should have. Um, I want to talk about the filmmaking of this movie a little bit. Like, I I mentioned Alan J. Pakula, one of the great directors of the 70s, directed Clute, directed um, uh, The Parallax View, very good in the political thriller um, Mm -hmm. side of things. We mentioned that he kind of does like a documentary style here. It's a lot of the camera is kind of nailed down to the tripod, it's Mm -hmm. very still, some like slow creep ins. But the thing that I really honed in on this time was that, like, since surveillance is a huge part of this movie and this story, a lot of times he fills the frame, I mean, with Gordon Willis, too, with, like, liminal space, mm-hmm. with, like, the, you know, the, the parking garage or even the high-up shots of mm-hmm. Washington. And you're, like, and you're focusing on one character, like, so small. You're, like, we're like a camera watching him. Like, I know that mm-hmm. sounds very simple, but since this is about surveillance, you're just, like, honing in on him that, like, there are eyes everywhere, in this story and it's very unsettling and so someone can look at this movie and be like okay it's two hours and 18 minutes long a lot of times the camera is kind of just on a tripod it may seem a bit slow um, and I mean we can talk about if this movie's too long or not but like it works for how paranoid this movie is mm-hmm. and this is set in the utmost amount of paranoia this country like the paranoia just starts here with the, with the Watergate scandal and the way that people don't trust each other or like how trust in the president just went completely away after this and it's just it it all works it like encapsulates you and you're just like sucked in when you watch it that way
2: yeah and and some of those shots like uh, my favorite shot from the movie is when they're in the library of congress yeah yeah. and you know this was kind of around the time that that steadicam was there They, Mm -hmm. they first used it in rocky right yeah um but in this case they actually had the the camera on a string Mm -hmm. and uh, on the roof and they're slowly pulling it up and and it's to communicate to you that also these guys are like two guys in this great big world Mm -hmm. trying to find the needle in the haystack of what's really going on yeah
0: they're so small yeah it's amazing i love that shot it's like and like i like that it's like Kind of swiveling when it gets to the top. You could see, you could kind of feel how janky it is, but I like it. Like there's a charm to it. Like it's great.
2: Well, and you got it, you put yourself in the uh, uh, camera operator's shoes too, just going like, please don't
0: fall off the string. Please (laughs) don't fall off the string. Please don't fall.
2: Please don't fall. And and for himself too, yeah. Please don't fall. Please don't fall. Yeah, that's also
0: true. Yeah.
1: Um, I also wanted to mention, you know, as much as they had. You know a lot of information about mm-hmm. Watergate there was still a lot that we didn't understand when the movie came out mm-hmm. and I feel like the use of a lot of close-ups mm-hmm. a lot of shadows kind of alluded to the fact that we're like yes we know x and y but we're still not 100% on z
0: mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of missing pieces and I I remember my first takeaway when I watched it in your class was I, I didn't like the ending I remember it being so abrupt with the typewriter it's like oh wait that's it like, why, why are we ending it there? But now it feels so perfect is because, like, yeah, just like they kind of rush through that information. And the main bulk of the story is what we saw. And it unfolds in that way.
2: Yeah. Well, it, it goes back to that uncertainty mm-hmm. because, and the time frame. Because 1976 is when this is, you know, being filmed and released and, and, mm-hmm. and put together. That's a small, small window. I honestly don't remember if uh, Gerald Ford had already pardoned Nixon mm-hmm. for this by the time the movie came out. Um, He probably didn't while the movie was filming. Yeah. But that's in and of itself a whole nother story. Yeah. Because Gerald Ford at the time, everyone looked down on him for pardoning Nixon, saying, how can you do that? This is absolute proof that the government is corrupt. And you come to find out many years later through... Uh, Ford's notes and his own memoirs that he was really just like, look, I need to move away from this as fast as possible, and I need the country to move away from this as fast as possible too. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to do this, and we're just going to move forward, and and that's it. But really, at that time frame, that was it. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it, it ended with his resignation. You know, Fro- Frost Nixon. The the actual interviews hadn't even happened by right by that point. So. Yeah,
0: so we didn't mm-hmm.
1: get that crucial confession. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. I do love the uncertainty that you guys are talking about though. And like, again, pairing that with the, you know, the cinematography by Gordon Willis, who's one of the greatest to ever do it, you know, did the Godfather films and is, he's known as the Prince of Darkness because of his use in, um, in really dark, minimal light scenes. And, the scenes that are in the dark in this movie are like, how the hell do they film this? Like, it's so good. Like, all the stuff in the parking garage and using, yeah, like you said, shadows. It makes it feel so, like, underground. It makes mm-hmm. it feel so great. Like, again, that's why Hal Holbrook is also so great is because of when you see him, he does feel like this spirit that's kind of haunting the movie. And you just get, like, his eyes in light mm-hmm. with the cigarette. And, like, that's kind of, like, radiating off of mm-hmm. Redford's face. Like, it's... It, the use of shadows and darkness it gives the film it makes it feel eerie, which sets it apart from other political thrillers.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and sets the tone for everything else oh, yeah. too. Okay. And and it gets parodied, you know. Now it's 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 parody, right? So like uh, the scene where uh, Redford finally calls out uh, Hal Holbrook's character. Uh, deep throat to get the information (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he gets all that information. He shows up and he turns on the, the stereo to the music and, Mm -hmm. and Hoffman's looking at him like, what the heck's going on here, buddy? Um, You know, that gets parodied more recently in the other guys, right. Where they finally figure something out. Mm -hmm. Um, So not even just from the political thriller standpoint, but Mm -hmm. you know, to the point where it's like, Oh, let's use a guy in a basement, you know, or, or in the parking garage. And it, it all echoes back to those. Yeah. Uh, Those shots and those scenes.
0: That's the other thing that I do love. That scene in particular is that, like, I love that they hold that piece of information until like the last ten minutes of the movie. That it involves surveillance. That everyone's in danger. That like the entire livelihood of the United States is just at risk, because it leaves you with this like core of like, oh fuck, you know, (laughs) like it's so good to like leave the audience with that. And that's also why I like the ending because it feels so abrupt, but the most crucial piece of information that I think probably I, I don't want to say a lot of people forgot about, but I don't think was honed in a lot, where it's like this was a small piece of this larger cover up mm-hmm. that was affecting how the how we were being monitored and how we were like mm-hmm. just being heard and how just total privacy was completely destroyed. And that like sits with you, they're like, Wow. Yeah. And especially today, you know, constantly people talking about like how there's microchips in our vaccines, you know, like it's like we've always been, of—it's it, it, we've always been watched. Like it's, just I, I'm sorry. Been... I'm rebooting right now. <laughs> put my, Update. Got to put my aluminum hat on, yeah. you know. <laughs> Do you also
1: feel that weight of danger for Woodward and Bernstein mm-hmm. at the time, you know, especially in that scene? Because you have this idea that it goes all the way up to the top, but until he actually sits down and is like, surveillance, you know, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really rough, which is also why you, like, it's great to see everyone else rooting for them. Mm -hmm. Like, people in the office, like, there's no one who's like, what are you guys doing? You're just, like, a couple beat reporters. What's going on? You know, like, but, like, their bosses are, like, they got a big story like let's run with it. And I mean, there's that one guy who's like, what are they profiling, you know, rat shit in restaurants, which is a great line. <laughs> but you can see their, you know, the one editor being like, come on, man, they got something. Let's let's root for them." And everyone's always rooting for them, which is I mean, obviously, there's the enemy, but like there's people to back them and you root for them, too. But they understand how hard this is and how dire this situation is. And it's so like, again, you just feel for them,
1: which anyway. is weird to watch people rooting for them when every source is anonymous, you know, because they're like, when is somebody going to go on the record for this shit? Yeah. If you tried to publish a story now with no name attached to the source, I don't think people would be backing them like that. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Because there's that idea of, oh, someone's anonymous. Like you can, so you can say anything, you can say whatever you want and Mm -hmm. just say, oh, that's an anonymous source. Mm hmm. You know, it, 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 the, the weight of an anonymous source nowadays has definitely been watered down.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it is cool, like, how often they're like, is someone going to f- finally go on the record about this fucking story? Like, Ben's, like, yelling about it. It's so great. Um, but uh, the other thing I wanted to say is, like, pairing the cinematography with, like, letting them go for, like, long takes and there's a lot of, like, slow creep-ins and just kind of letting the camera go is also a testament to how good of a screenwriter – William Goldman is because this script is phenomenal like all the dialogue is so like tight and like they're really talking fast and really feeling like it's neurotic and trying to get to some conclusion as fast as they can but also letting you know the camera just sit And while Redford's just on the phone for like five minutes while they're like slowly Mm -hmm. moving in, like they know. And like you said, Lexi, you know, they memorized all of their lines together so they could talk over each other and that they could cut each other off as they were like coming to the same conclusion together, which makes it feel not only collaborative, but also how important the work that they're doing is. And it just lends itself so well to the technical aspect of storytelling where you can just let the actors go and you as the camera operator just have to slowly watch them and there's times where the camera's like swiveling on the tripod watching Hoffman go across like the room or something like that mm-hmm. it like just also just it just works well as from a pacing standpoint from a storytelling standpoint like it's such a well told story and the use of again the use of dialogue how they say things is just so so great it like grabs your attention there's so many great lines in this yeah. movie, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is where Follow the Money comes from. This movie, yeah. follow the the money. From that. Yep.
2: but uh, and 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 it's great because it provides that tension mm-hmm. but at times it also provides that levity. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want a cookie. You know, I'm surprised yeah. that's not like a, a gift nowadays yeah, yeah, that yeah. people send each other. Like, I don't want a cookie. Any and, and it's so great to watch Redford catch it and so casually toss it off, state, yeah, 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 uh, off, off screen. Yeah, uh, I'd want a cookie, um, or uh. Uh, I have a house and a wife and a dog and a cat.
3: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't forget that dog and cat. <laughs> where
2: if, you know, Jason Robards is Ben Bradley's on the phone mm-hmm. and going, yeah, you have a house and a wife and a dog and a cat. Yeah. And then and they look at each other like, ah, oh, we got them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not interested in what you did. I'm interested in what you said yeah, in yeah, Sally's yeah. apartment.
1: Yeah. It's also the work as, you know, master manipulators, the way that they are when mm-hmm. they want to get the five names and they're like, who is P? Well, P we know is Porter. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you know it was Porter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who told you? Well. <laughs> well yeah. you just you did. just did. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing is that their tactics in you know in journalism are so interesting. Like they even they fuck up a couple times. Like it's not mm-hmm. just when you know they uh, when they say this when they name a source, but like when Hoffman's like all right, I'm gonna stay on the line, I'm gonna count to 10. If there's any reason we should hold on the story, hang up the hang up the phone. And like, clearly the guy doesn't understand because he's like, hang, hang up the phone, right? And Hoffman's like, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like, no, that's not what you said. And it like clearly is so fucky because they're just trying to get to this source. And at that point we are like, is that like good? Like I'm sure a journalist would like, I don't know, what do you think, Lexi? Like if, if someone was like, that's, that doesn't make any sense, they shouldn't do that. But like, again, it shows their desperation and like how they're so close to a conclusion to let this story go especially since there's a ticking time bomb because they catch Bradley in the elevator to get that done. But I like that they also show that they just they kind of fuck up at one point yep. in a pretty big way. Yeah. You know?
1: I mean, there's, like I said, that craving that people have now for like, did they admit to it? Because if I went mm-hmm. up to, you know, an editor and was like, well, I asked somebody a question and I said, if you blink three times, that means yes. And I'm like, and they blinked. They'd go, <laughs> but did they verbally confirm uh-huh. that? Like, yeah. The word is everything now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, there's that other thing where, you know, they feel like they got Holdeman and it's like, Oh, I didn't say he just said Holdeman. It could be John Holdeman, it could be well well, how do we know if it's not Teresa Holdeman? Well Teresa Holdeman's not in the White House, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's that yeah, constant confirmation and making sure they have everything right because they know the stakes of everything, which is great.
2: Yeah. And that and that line I think even Bradley says like, um, you know, when they when they start calling us liars, that's when we know we don't have the story. Mm, but if they're yeah. doing like these non denial denials, mm-hmm. then we know we're onto something. Yeah. And that one point where they make that mistake, you know, that was Woodstein. Yeah. <laughs> and they knew. <laughs> it was like,
0: uh oh. Yeah. And it's great to watch them just like slowly walk across yeah, the, the walk room. of shame yeah yeah, yeah they what's do. this about i don't, I don't know yeah. <laughs> um where does this like this is the political thriller it's a whole other like subgenre that you could do a series like this on but like where does this uh differ from say like a true crime like serial killer thing or a music biopic in your eyes like see what do you really get out of this genre more what do you go for in terms of the true story
1: When it comes to this over something about music or Mm -hmm. something about crime, like, this is everything I want to be, Yeah. you know? And not just you. When I went to Brockport, I had this movie shoved down my throat again, and I think a lot of professors (laughs) recognize that, like, this is something that students need to Mm -hmm. learn from and appreciate, and, like, I watching their style of reporting resonated with me because it's like you want to have that kind of smooth charisma about you when you're interacting with people so it holds more weight than something that's like oh I like that artist I watched that movie Mm -hmm. you know it it just is more about actual life to me than just watching on the sidelines and going oh I can't believe that happened
0: yeah (laughs) what about you Tim yeah it's
2: to that effect it's something and it's what I enjoy in presenting this too, this is something that anyone, you know, with, with that background can do. Mm -hmm. Like you see yourself from like a musical standpoint or from a sports standpoint and go, okay, you know, like, you know, they try their best to put, put you in that character's shoes, Mm -hmm. but it's still something that feels like kind of distant. Whereas Mm -hmm. this, it's like, okay, I could, I could see myself asking these questions or how would I approach it? Um, one, one of the issues that we discussed in class is journalistic ethics. Yeah. You know, was it ethical of Woodward and Bernstein to name their source? Mm-hmm. You know, where they keep one, you know, quiet and behind the scenes, yeah. they, they clearly name another one. And even they've admitted, like, no, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at the time, we felt we had to. Right, um, or doing the we know P is Porter, but how'd you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. It just feels I don't know. I, I guess, and we're all media students mm-hmm. and graduates here, uh, so I guess it appeals to us from that standpoint a little bit more than maybe the rock star biopic, because mm-hmm. well, that's cool and that's its own genre. You know, I don't feel like I can go to Wembley Stadium and you know, sing like Freddie Mercury in front right. of 80,000 people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'll let, uh, you know, iRobot I, guy, whatever his name is, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let him Bobby do Alec, that. Yeah. Um, yeah he. he
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he didn't even do it. He was lip-syncing. Um, yeah, oh, sure. But, uh, but I, I get what you mean. Though the music biopic thing, you know, I think hits a level of nostalgia because of, like, how you relate to the music and, you know, true crime is, a, is an attempt to, like, get – amount of scare and I know one movie we'll be talking about like is a very realistic portrayal of that but this to me because it's about such real things and is a um, achievable profession as we talked about in a goal it makes it feel like again you get a certain amount of empathy and and humility out of these characters but it's about them taking on a real threat you know a a threat that we you know kind of encounter especially you know in the Trump post Trump Biden era of um you know, fear of higher powers, fear of, uh, you know, like this, it's this David and Goliath type story, and that makes it so much more like you're really rooting for them because you want them to be right, but even if they are right, it's still really fucking scary because of how the ramifications of what was done, like there's a moment of, which is why that, you know... that Robart speech at the end is so good because it's like, yeah, you guys should you could celebrate for five minutes, but then you need to realize that uh, shit is fucked now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Which is so. And again, last night when I was watching, I was just like, God damn! Like, I love the opening with, you know, not only just the the typewriter, but showing Nixon walking in to do the State of the Union, where you realize that like not only were all eyes on Nixon, people loved Nixon. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like people like really trusted him because he was he was very smart. He was a very you know powerful manipulator and a really good politician and that it was his time you know people felt like you know when kennedy beat him he was like ready to take on the job and you know having that as the framework for everything that comes is this you know this persona and this perception of the public that people have for nixon and then all of this stuff is going on behind the scenes that is so beyond damaging and people try and use Watergate nowadays as, like, oh, this scandal trumps Watergate or using, uh, using Watergate as a, as a framing device for a name of a scandal. Yeah, gate. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blank yeah. gate, like Pizzagate or something yeah. like that. But it's, like, no, th- the reason that this scandal will never, I don't think, be, like, topped is because of how the entire perception of our government and how it just changed people's, like, total mindset, mm-hmm. like, forever, Like, it just totally warped it. And there isn't any... And you can get into arguments about, like, okay, was one thing more immoral than the other with something that Trump did or Clinton or whatever. But, like, this is the one of the biggest turning points in American democracy and just our culture. Mm -hmm. Like, total uh, turn against authority and just, again, just total mistrust. It goes back to Watergate.
1: that's, That's a good point because... You know, you look at a movie about I don't know, say like Eddie the Eagle or something, and you're—it's an underdog story, and it's mm-hmm. nice, but it has nothing to do with me.
0: Right. On yeah. a wider you're not gonna be you're not gonna be a ski jumper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
1: don't think I'll take that up. I like my legs. <laughs> on a, a wider scale, you know, you can't even say. Obviously, I was not alive mm-hmm. when Watergate happened. It still affects me,
0: though. It affects yeah. all of us. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And I think just the idea that people take, I mean, I hate it when people do it, but like when people do like blank gate, like no one's ever going to like, that's not going to change, you know, like no one's going to do like blank Gazi, Like that's not going to happen. Right, you know? right, <laughs> like, right. Does makes make sense? Because everyone's like, ah, that's stupid. You know, I mean, it's already stupid, but like this is, there's a reason people do that, you know?
2: Yeah. And it's because that event had such repercussions and ripple effect. You know, it, it used to be before Watergate comes out. They were actually, there were some people that were advocating to lower the voting age. Yeah. And say, well, you made it 18, which actually Nixon did. Mm-hmm. Um, but why not 12? Why not 10? You know, and voting, even e- no matter which side of the political spectrum you were on, voting was like a civic duty. Yeah. And you stuck to your guns, you stuck to your beliefs, and you voted. Based off of that, and it was almost again. It almost felt like a civic duty. Everyone did it. Like yeah, you didn't feel like there were too many people that were like, "Yeah, I'm not voting." Yeah, you know. Whereas nowadays, people are like, "Well, what's what's the use of my vote?"
0: Right. You know, I,
2: yeah. uh, you know, the last presidential election, that kind of started to that pendulum kind of started to swing back mm-hmm. the other way because people are starting to kind of come around. Again, to saying, yeah, this is important and this is why. But Watergate caused a lot of that. Like, why should I vote? Yeah. You know, they're, they're manipulating the system in this way. How can you tell me that they're not manipulating the system, you know, X, Y, and Z?
0: Yeah. And again, knowing that about this event and how the turning point, it makes it so much more poetic that it's a turning point in American cinema, too, that- You know, 1976 is credited as one of the greatest years of of American movies because of New Hollywood is in full swing now. Mm -hmm. The the studio system had died, and it was resurrected by the birth of the trust in the artist, which is, again, interesting how this movie is about trust, and the industry itself is shifting from trust in big, one-person business head studio managers to individual artists, and it's cool to see that could be like a, a reading of this movie in a lot of ways, is that like the artists and the people who are actually making stories and telling things that are poignant and can reach a lot of people are getting those things made. And you have things like, you know, Scorsese introducing new wave techniques to um, to wider American audiences because of taxi driver. And it's so interesting. And you know, it's the perfect pairing of that because this also in 1970, you know, this movie's really paranoid. (laughs) This movie is really scary, and it's great. Because of you as the viewer, you don't really get the best sense of what life was like before this Mm. because you just see the turn, which is great. Like, you see people, like, when they go to certain people's offices, like you know, when they find or their houses or it's like when they find out about water. Like there's that one woman uh, who works at the department store and they and they think she works at Creep, mm-hmm. but she's like, oh, I, I was a Republican all my life, but this is just like, this is just awful. And But she's still just like sipping her tea, you know, going about her day. Mm-hmm. Like, please come in talk. Like that's probably a highlight to her. Yeah. But this was the turn of like, oh, all of this comfortability is going away. And that was the same in, in Hollywood at the time. Like comfort in stories. I mean, maybe not comfort, but, like, safety in storytelling mm-hmm. was gone because so many new artists came up and be like, how about we do it my way, you know? Yeah. And it's it's such a great parallel to that.
2: It's also that first generation that saw previous movies, previous film, mm-hmm. and used that as the basis for their storytelling, too. Yeah, uh-huh. They went back and said, okay, well, we like these movie serials. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Or we like this particular genre, but let's do it in this way. Yeah. Like you uh for example, you don't get to Chinatown mm-hmm. without all those kind of Sam Spade film noir type yeah. movies from mm-hmm. the nineteen
0: fifties. Right. Yeah. The revisionist noir. But at that but, point.
2: But their but their take on it, mm-hmm. you know, without necessarily that like you were saying, like that Jack Warner from Warner Brothers having to put his stamp on it and say, yes, I approve the following 10 films be made, you know, that factory mindset (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of post world war II era filmmaking um, kind of goes away.
0: And I actually really like, I mean, I want to know what you guys think. Like I love old school style filmmaking and, you know, the seventies is a very well regarded decade, as I said, but like, you know, this movie is, is two hours and 18 minutes. It's a lot of slower moving storytelling I think overall the movie's paced pretty uh, consistently. Mm-hmm. Was it was it long for you guys? Do you think this movie is a bit too lengthy? Like,
1: no, I don't have an issue mm-hmm. with the length of time, but I think it's because of the pacing. Whereas you take something else like Good Night and Good Luck, and it is a little slow, and mm-hmm. then, you know, unless mm-hmm. you're really into something like that, it is yeah. kind of hard to get lost into it. Mm-hmm. But I think also with the right audience. You can have a movie that's three, four hours long, and if you're really into it, you go, okay, I'm in, I'm in for the ride, let's go. Yeah,
2: I, I think it's fine lengthwise, but then again, you know, I, I could be coming from a biased position too. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have screened that film every time I've taught <laughs> writing for the media, which is almost. Um, heading into year 17 now. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and it they, doesn't they, get old, but, does it? No, I do. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the pacing of it to me seems fine. I, I think you're right. You know, you you have a point there because I've also screened good night and good luck in, in classes too. I'm
1: aware the first I, time I saw it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I've had students kind of go, okay, like it's in black and white, you know, you, you kind of get a sense of what's going on, but you're kind of not sure how people are connected to one another. But I think that also goes back to the screenwriting, Mm -hmm. you know, and and who was putting that together. But all the president's men feels like it builds. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like I'm sitting there and there's like maybe about five or 10 minutes where I'm twiddling my thumbs going, well, okay, they really didn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, it seems like, and again, you're taking probably about, what, three, four years of journalism and and storytelling and you're trying to squeeze it into that two and a half hour movie as best as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I think lengthwise that's fine because you are going to find, I'm sure there were some moments where they were like, well, okay, we walked over here and talked to this person and didn't get anything. Like, I don't think you need that to be communicated each and every time mm-hmm. you know you do that with the montage door closed, door closed, mm-hmm. door closed. Right. get yeah. away from me door close door close yeah, oh okay exactly. i'll talk to you now mm-hmm. um so you you pick up that perspective and just like those quick couple of shots yeah totally. um, that they went almost everywhere and mm-hmm. talked to almost everybody uh the the phone list too where they're mm-hmm. like yeah, alan addis
0: you know baker um this one's 303 yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah yeah. i i don't think you i don't think you as an audience necessarily need to go through that but i think you have to have the understanding that this is what they went through to really uh get the complete spectrum of yeah this is what they revealed this is what they uncovered definitely and this is how they did it and this is the time it takes Mm -hmm. to do something like that
0: yeah, absolutely, and I think it's a very focused narrative in that sense. So, like, I, I think it is, like, at, there are at, at times where you're like, okay, this is clearly, like, made in the 70s. It's a bit slower, but, like, I'm into the story, so I'm, like, in it to win it. The only time I was like, okay, this is going on a little long was when Dustin Hoffman was talking to the LMP woman, like, in in her house, like, after he, like, basically was just like, can I borrow a match? And just, like, walk, walked in. That goes on. That scene's, like, four or five minutes long. Like, that's a long time. It's like, damn, he's, like really talking to this woman like, it's like mm-hmm. going but because of that you know that becomes the greatest like after that is the greatest high that they reach when they're you know talking in the uh in the bedroom and they're like going about you know typing all of his notes out and he's got like all of his notes like shoved into his pockets mm-hmm. and like you know covering taking them out um so i don't personally have a problem with it and i really like it and again like they do a good job of also making you feel with them when they get a success. You're like, yes! Or they think they mm. found a lead, like with that woman who is the wrong, the wrong person. They're like, oh, they got someone to talk to them. Yay! And mm. then it's like, oh, I'm actually like, you know, this other person. And then they're at McDonald's, just like, yeah, 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 <laughs> which is great, you know. <laughs> just, in the, you in know. the very 1970s, McDonald's yeah. too, where oh, yeah. like uh-huh. everything was like that dark, mute shade mm. of brown, like yeah, yeah, and somehow has the most light in the movie yeah yeah <laughs> other than the newsroom which is like these peering like just like fluorescent lights just like piercing your eyes yeah. <laughs> which is crazy which again is also like there's so many good shots in there about showing them as like really small and like how the ceiling like above them is like completely overpowering like the entire scene or at the end when you have like the like nixon getting the nomination with them off to the side in that mm-hmm. split diopter shot which they do a few times it's it's they just do such a great job with the visual storytelling, as well as like communicating to the audience, like through exposition or catching you up on what you need to know to see a scene play out. So I personally think it's really engaging and makes it, you know, up for a really interesting uh, lesson, but also an, uh, a fun watch. Like I mean. I mean, fun may not be the best word, but it's, like, entertaining. Like, you're like, okay, let's, let's go, guys. Let's see what's up. Yeah, <laughs> and, the,
2: and that, uh, th- that's kind of also, in, in, a, in a weird way, it's kind of the double-edged sword with this particular film, too. Because on the one hand, you want to show students, from my perspective, you want to show students, you want to show the audience, like, journalism at work and, and, the, and some of the struggles that journalism and journalists face. Uh, on the flip side, you have people coming out thinking, everything's a Watergate. You know, like we yeah. alluded to earlier, whereas sometimes, you know, you just need a reporter to go to the town hall meeting mm-hmm. yeah. and report on, hey, here's what's going on, because we all don't have the time to go to the town hall meeting and find out what's happening, you know, with a tax code or something like yeah. that. Like, obviously, that's not going to be <laughs> a movie that's ever going to get made. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, that is that flip side of it where it's like journalism is held at such a high regard in in that in all the president's men but at the same time everyone has that mindset like i'm going to be the one that finds the watergate story mm-hmm. right. and you might not you know yeah. They, yeah. they're far and few between that's why they are those moments i i would think the most recent one you know other than what's kind of again happening in current events mm-hmm. um uh you almost have to reach back to about 2009 when uh WikiLeaks yeah, comes out, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of eerily echoes the release of the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, that you know is kind of gets some of the ball rolling to leading into the Watergate investigation. Yeah. I wanted to
1: go back to the the length of the LMP yeah. woman scene. Like, I think that was done with a lot of intention. Yeah, so long because I can remember when I got sent out to a story to talk to a man who had a terminal illness and I had to go to his home. And I sat down on his couch and it was uncomfortable and weird. And I was kind of just bringing up whatever to start a conversation. You know how Dustin Hoffman picks up his coffee and he's like, coffee's cold. Yeah. That's what it's like when you're like, where the hell do I go next yeah. with this? Uh-huh.
0: No, for sure. I'm I'm definitely, there definitely is intention in it. I'm not saying there isn't lately, mm-hmm. but just at points you're like, all right, I can feel I can feel the length here. Yeah. Um, do you guys have any other critical stuff you wanted to bring up? That does anything like stand out as like not aging well, or do you have any like critiques, or do you want to move into analysis? Uh,
2: a slight sidebar in the territory of not aging well, and it has to do with that scene where Hoffman kind of makes his way in and says, mm-hmm. hey, can I get a cup of coffee? Hey, can I get a match? Mm-hmm. Um That just house, that house in oh particular, God, yeah. uh, after years and years of watching it, I'm like, who lives in a house like that? Yeah. Like where it's mm-hmm. like that bright red 70s mm-hmm. shag carpet, but there's stairs on every side. If yeah. you go back and watch yeah, that yeah, scene, yeah, yeah. there's stairs to the left, there's yep. stairs to the right, there's stairs in front of you. It's like, who walks into this house yeah, yeah. and says, you know what? needs more stairs. Yeah, it's like there's a <laughs> it's
0: like a platform at the bottom of the stairs and then it's like a step down and you have to do it to like go into the kitchen and the living room. It's it, so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like everyone's house in this movie or like, you know, home is like just a mess. You know, mm-hmm. like I think Hoffman has a guitar and a banjo in his mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. his, in yeah. his room and uh, Redford is just like papers everywhere and he's just like on a mattress and that's when he falls asleep, you know, and you see like just how these people are just living in just, like, their own obsession in that sense.
2: But uh, to that point, there, there's a wonderful scene where they're uh, starting to walk. Woodward and Bernstein are starting to kind of walk down the sidewalk a little bit, and they're getting to somebody's home, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's weird to think that, you know, something could happen in these nice, pleasant homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, which is almost like the movie in a nutshell mm-hmm. where you sit back and you go— it seems kind of weird that, you know, this would happen in the White House and you
0: go, no, it's not. Nah, it makes <laughs> makes total sense. Yeah. <laughs> um Do you have anything else, Lexi, or do you want to move to analysis?
1: Um, just one quick thing. Okay. And that's you know, the way that people are being sent out to the stories hasn't aged very well because uh-huh. I know if I Went up to someone and I was like, "I'm going to meet someone in the middle of the night in a dark parking lot. Yeah. How does that sound?" Yeah. And are like, "No, you're someone's going with you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you would never be sent out alone now, not with the way that things are towards
0: journalists." No, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that it was kind of they were kind of free balling it at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'd, I'd love to move into analysis. I think there's a lot to talk about with what to take away. So let's go to analyze this. Tim I want to ask you first since you're someone who has seen this way more than Lexi and I have having screened it so many times but like do you take a different meaning from it like away from it every time or do you hone in on one thing specific like what is your like how has your opinion changed in the years
2: yeah I think you could take something away from it every time mm-hmm. uh, like we were talking about with the different the main characters right you, you can look at it from Redford's perspective as as uh, uh, Woodward or you can look at Hoffman's perspective as as Bernstein, Mm -hmm. Um, but you kind of get, as as you watch it more and more, you do kind of watch some of those side characters a little bit and go, all right, how are they feeling about Mm -hmm. all of this? Mm -hmm. Um, The other editors, you know, where it's just like to them, it's a typical news day, and they're all fighting to get on page one with a story, and I think there Mm -hmm. was... Uh, you know, at one point there's the salesman who's coming in and like, come on, why don't you buy the crossword puzzle? Like yeah. it, it, it'll be it'll be a big hit. It'll be a big seller. And they're like, Yeah, get out of here, come back when yeah. you have uh-huh. like uh something else. So you you pick up some of those little areas. Um, you pick up some of the different shots. Uh, yeah. you, you look for names too mm-hmm. that maybe don't get as much mention in all the president's men, but you know as they're going down the list, they're like, oh there's somebody that goes to j- like like g gordon liddy <laughs> you're mm-hmm. like oh he's going to jail like <laughs> um and 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 colson and, and and the bunch and you're like oh that person's going to jail that mm-hmm. person's going to j-. and and you know it, the whole story now being hindsight almost yeah. uh almost 50 some years now mm-hmm. uh 45, 50 years you can look back and and You can connect the pieces if you know the story well and look into it, you know, that much deeper. Yeah. And and the trust that people actually had in the journalists, Mm -hmm. which I think is somewhat, you know, eroded for better or for worse nowadays um, when you have like a journalist that gets caught not getting the story right. You know, what are the repercussions of that? Mm -hmm. Well, back then, you know, you did have people who are like, oh, you know, it, it wasn't as loud. Yeah. You know, as it is today. Um, and again, for better or for worse, you know, there were some like a Jason Blair who gets caught and causes the whole New York Times scandal. And that has the echo effect and repercussion of, yeah. you know, are, are we able to trust those of who are assigned to tell that story?
0: Mm-hmm. For, for me, I think what I partially took away from it this time but really took away from it the first time was – it is a journalism movie and you know you get the sense of like journalists but you also get that there's this is going on in the background of everything mm-hmm. where there's those a couple times where you know when woodward is like going through names and in the background everyone's gathered around a tv but we're slowly creeping into like uh focus more on redford and you're like basically the entire world is still turning but behind all of that are these, are these guys trying to figure out the truth. And that's kind of the final image that you're left with before the typewriter, which, again, is the TV with, with Nixon and then Woodward and Bernstein in the back. And then it slowly fades in to just them. And it's like the, these are the guys that are going to get stuff done there. The ones, even though these guys are running everything and fucking everything up, there's always going to be these guys, and not just journalists, but there's always going to be people who are out there fighting for what they believe in, fighting for the truth, fighting for integrity and for the safety of the American people. Whether that is, um, you know, uh, like a fireman or a, a journalist or um, like a an activist of some kind, there's always going to be someone behind that to back, um, you know, to back up their beliefs. And it's, it's powerful. That's a great final Mm -hmm. image. You know, I, I really love that. And that's something that really, um, echoed to me that they, you know, you're rooting for the little guy, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I, I love that. I really connect with that.
1: I think the big takeaway for me is more of kind of like a, like a worldly idea Uh where no matter what your background is, if you're not a journalist, if you don't have anything to do with media, it's that the truth is not easily obtained yeah. and your faith needs to be in fact, mm-hmm. but sometimes the legwork to get there is not simple. You yeah. know, think about the fact that media right now, whatever form it is that you consume is a cesspool. Yeah. And in order to be able to find what's true and what's not, like the work that you're going to have to put in to get there is not just, you know, the snap of your fingers and you're done. You really need to critically think about it.
2: Right. Yeah. And th- and that's the big shift nowadays too. It's like this the stories out there, you know, you can have a global event happen and it's out in seconds. Like this is what's going on. We're going to give you and try to find more information as to what's going on. But even back in Woodward and Bernstein's age, you still had Walter Cronkite. Mm-hmm. You still had the other television news. Uh, broadcast like the the media was very limited mm-hmm. yeah. and through its limitation it was able to kind of sort of vet out you know the the truth a little bit it, it took longer to get a story out there mm-hmm. but it also was in my opinion maybe a slightly more accurate story mm-hmm. um, because you know you're you're almost in some instances with a 24/7 news network nowadays you're getting to kind of see a newsroom in real time mm-hmm. yeah. you know an event happens you you say okay this has happened yeah and then as the details are coming in almost like you're sharing the details and we're like well we think this has happened and then no no it hasn't happened it's it's actually this yeah you know or or this has happened yep this has happened and here's what we know now mm-hmm. and that constant updating to where it's almost the same amount of time, really, to get the actual story out there. But by the time you get to that story, someone might have heard or have seen on a, on a ticker or somewhere on the Internet five different other things. Yeah. Or they saw that one part of the story and didn't realize that later on, you know, that particular company had to retract it. Because maybe, you know, through no fault of their own, I mean, really, who has time to sit there and, you know, stare at a TV screen and consume news all the time? Right. Uh, But you miss some of those little elements, and then that's where the misinformation wheels really start, you know, Mm -hmm. going.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, nowadays it feels as though it's like the people are reporting. And, like, with social media and with, like, you know, the use of Twitter and how connected we all are, you know, people find out some things not only so much quicker but from such different sources. It's not just – that's why I also think that, like, Good Night and Good Luck is a good, you know, sibling film to this is because it is calling back to those days of there was one – you know, one person that everyone listened to Mm -hmm. or like a couple people, it was, Mm -hmm. you know, Cronkite, you know, Murrow, uh, and what they were doing, you know, set forward in motion, this like feeling of pride and, you know, uh, resistance to this, um, this unjust that was going on. And now with so many ways to get misinformation, you know, that's why I also feel like I was very glad to have gone here for communications because like, I got a good sense of media literacy, which a lot of people do not have. You yeah. know? And yeah. since we're getting a lot of our information and you know using people we know as sources for whatever, I mean, I don't want to say, like, who knows what's real? But it's like it's harder to find it than it was before.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that pursuit of the truth mm-hmm. is still out there. But... It's, it's also, I mean, you run into questions of who's truth, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, who, and who's backing it, you know. And, and some of those questions actually still echoed in that era. Um, mm-hmm. Catherine Graham, who's only mentioned like I think once in the film, but mm-hmm. was the owner of the Washington Post, uh, you know, had to make some of those decisions too. Mm-hmm. Because some of those people that she's hobnobbing with are the exact same people that are getting reported on. You know, by Woodward and Bernstein and by her newspaper. Um, so some of those echo effects are still, yeah uh, uh, there uh, from that standpoint.
0: All right. so we've talked extensively about this movie already, but it's time to answer the final question. What can you learn about real life from this movie? Uh, Lexi, you will start with you.
1: You know, I think it goes back to what we've been saying about media literacy is life is not as simple, you know, as it was during this time period that the movie's in where you sit mm-hmm. down and you watch, Uncle Walter, get on TV and you go, okay, everything he says is going to be the truth and I'll believe in it. Mm -hmm. You know, now it's just so complicated. And being media literate is so important. I don't think that people Mm -hmm. sit down and take the time to say, is what I read on Facebook the truth? Yes. Or, you know, are aliens coming to the world (laughs) tomorrow? (laughs) It's just a kind of a callback to say, hey, this is where we were at. How do yeah. we get back there? Yeah. Yeah. What do we have to do to take the steps to be where we were at that time period?
0: Tim, what about you? Yeah, uh, I th-
2: I think some of the takeaways one how how journalism works, mm-hmm. um, some of the basics. You know, again, it's changed over the years. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know too many people picking up the rotary phone to call somebody. Uh, but how does that work? How do you find the truth? You know, how do how do you uh, you know fact checking is becoming. A more prevalent term, thankfully now, yeah, um, as opposed to fake news, yeah. But fake news is still out there, yeah. You know, um, the aliens may or may not be coming. You you don't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, You don't know until they show up at the door, right. um, I, I, But again, uh, the that information gets out faster. I remember asking students back when Osama bin Laden had been killed where they got that information from first. Because Mm -hmm. that was an interesting night um, because they had delayed. They said the president's going to do a press conference and they delay and delay and delay. And, you know, President Obama didn't get on the air till I think about like 10 o'clock or so to finally say it. Mm -hmm. But by then that news had gotten out Mm -hmm. and was being shared around the world. Yeah. Other takeaways is, you know, the work you put into it, the the stakes, you know, realizing that and, and some of that, you know bravery and tenacity is still around. Um, but to realize, hey, this for Woodward and Bernstein, with it happening in real time, you know, you have the benefit now looking back at all the president's men and hindsight and what happens and, and you kind of at least know at the end. Yeah. Because the real Woodward and Bernstein had no idea how this was going to end. I mean, yeah. They could have very well ended up in jail. Right. right. You know, it had, had they been disproven and You know, or they would have been disproven and they would have lost their jobs and just been blackballed. And that was. Yeah, that was it.
1: The giant slander piece. pretty much. Yeah, (laughs)
2: exactly. Exactly. And then they're like, you know, here are these two idiots and ha ha. And and you might never could have come out over time eventually. But by the time by that time, who knows, Nixon could have been, you know, passed away and done. And Uh we wouldn't have been talking about Watergate. He might be well into his second term you know who, knows? You, who who knows yeah <laughs> um but to to be able to kind of face like that David and Goliath you know to be yeah. able to uh actually be journalists utilize the fourth of, estate of journalism to say hey you, we're we're going to question you yeah. you know you're saying this but we're seeing a pattern here and our evidence is leading us this way you know it's something that's still sorely needed
0: yeah Absolutely. Both great answers. Um, my answer kind of lies in stuff that we've already talked about a little bit is that, like, is, is my just position on this movie as a movie is, like, it's there's a reason why it's on the AFI top 100 list. There's a reason why even all of the names, you know, attributed to this movie don't even just give it justice as to why it's one of the best movies, like, ever. Is because like it's a movie about America. You can learn so much about the '70s and what the '70s had effect on everything, not just from a, um, a pop culture perspective, but from a social perspective. And you know, again, we talked about the shift from uh, you know the studio system to New Hollywood and the emergence of these artists. But again, you know, there, there's a reason why there was so much paranoia around this time in our art is because it goes back to. Nixon it goes back to Watergate. The country changed drastically, and you know you see people, you know, losing trust in each other, and not just in this like big hulking force of government, but in one another, and not really sure who they are supposed to turn to, mm-hmm. and it opened up this door of so many possibilities and fear of the future, and it was the same with Hollywood where. Had all of these new voices, and you're kind of like, it's almost overstimulating in a way. You have like so much original content and so many auteurs working. You're just like, what can happen after this? You know, mm-hmm. what's the 80s gonna be like? You know, and it's so drastically different. And again, like you watch this and you're like, just understanding the consequences of this entire scandal and this entire story of just our country was changed. And that is why, again, I think that. the the name Watergate like nothing is ever I I could be wrong maybe never say never but as of right now nothing has topped that Mm -hmm. because of just how completely like there's a direct link you know from Nixon to the Trump era not just in terms of action but in terms of uh, you know, just our mindsets as a culture and civilians, and like how we perceive everything and the news that we're being fed, and again, being media literate and like understanding what is being said to us, all goes back to this one point where president used their power to completely manipulate and like destroy the mindset of America at the time, and that just rippled throughout the rest of history, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, that's wh- where we are today is a direct link to that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think to build off of that, I, I think there's almost even a little bit of a, a numbness yeah. that as a society we have because that story came out. And then anything after that, like in uh, – so late 70s, you kind of have the Iran scandal, uh-huh. the hostage crisis. Uh-huh. Um, the 80s, you have the Iran-Contra scandal. And, yeah. and people kind of go – by even by then, even like a, uh, almost a small ten years, where maybe something like that pre Watergate would be much larger than it is. You have people that uh, kind of go, okay, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I can see a president doing that now, and yeah. they and yeah. they just let it go, as opposed to, oh my gosh, did this really just happen?
0: Yeah, and h-
1: go I, ahead. I think we need to be a little careful at how quickly we grasp at straws to mm-hmm. get sure. answers because. The turnaround time is so much different now. Back then people I don't want to say we're willing to, but we're used to waiting a certain amount of time before this lengthy story came out about whatever, in this case being Watergate. Whereas people are going, Well, why aren't they getting the answers right here, right now? It's like, well, these things take time. You know, the fact that we are in a twenty four hour cycle, like be nice to your journalists because unfortunately they're getting these interviews, writing it, doing whatever all in the same day. And it's just mm-hmm. times have changed. We can yeah. definitely look at this and learn from it, but we can't expect the exact same kind of carbon copy thing.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what you said also is like, so telling where like how many times have you either looked at Twitter or heard a news story of like some damning thing, the president done. And you're just like, okay, I'm just so tired. Like, can we please, <laughs> why did I need to see that? Like, I'm just so done. Like, that's insane. <laughs> like, that's just the core concept of that of a controversy, which is just because being so riddled with controversies these days, and being so bombarded with horrible news of you know in and being so focused on politics in these past you know six or seven years has just been like exhausting, you know. And it's such a turn, and it's so different. And again, it it all goes back to the change in trust, and we realize okay, this our government is something you know. Completely different. Mm-hmm. And from Nixon, you know, the next big shift, I mean, I don't know many big Gerald Ford fans out there, but I mean, <laughs> the next big shift is Reagan. Yeah. And Reagan was the big poster child yeah. and Reagan was the icon of, you know, Republican ideals and what a, quote unquote, collected, cool, cowboy guy president was mm-hmm. and, you He, you know, also changed things drastically and was just like all over the place, like again, and also just a celebrity Mm -hmm. who became the president. So there are shifts, but it starts, this was, this was a total like tectonic shift in our culture and it's so captured so well in these two guys' stories and you just, you understand how they go from just walking around like in the beginning, just like talking to whoever. And then being terrified to turn around and see who's behind him.
2: Yeah. Could, could you imagine what it would have looked like if they sent somebody else other than uh, Bob Woodward to that initial arraignment? Yeah. Because <laughs> it all be starts on. off with that. Mm-hmm. You know, some, some people might even say like, eh, I don't think anything's here. But even he said as soon as the guy kind of mumbled CIA and the judge made him talk louder a couple yeah, times to finally uh-huh. get him to say, I used to work for the CIA out loud, that's his aha moment mm-hmm. where he's like, Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. This isn't just like it's like seven or eight guys just kinda of going, Okay, we're gonna break into the democratic headquarters, it's gonna be fun. We're gonna find some money or something. Yeah. He's like, Well, wait a minute, that's a government agency Mm -hmm. what's going on yeah there's a ladder
0: to climb to the top
2: yeah
1: and to not be so dismissive because the editors are pretty dismissive throughout the entire movie imagine if you know they had started in the beginning and been like it's not really that important to go to that arraignment yeah where things would be you know hindsight is 2020 Uh if he hadn't been there who knows where we'd be right now
0: yeah yeah Very, very very true any final notes or thoughts before we go
2: I uh, just just one quick one that I failed to mention uh because we had been talking about Cronkite and woodward and Bernstein mm-hmm. uh Woodward and Bernstein in interviews too felt like they were being dismissed story wise by uh-huh. the by the editors until uh Walter Cronkite went on the air and did a and did his own story on it, and they even said like the power of Cronkite as soon as that happened. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed like those that were kind of on the fence as to which way this was going, they were like, OK, Walter Cronkite's reporting on this. It must have some credibility. And just about all the other uh, news organizations really start picking it up more and more.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So. Very, very interesting. Um Thank you so, so much, Tim, for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I
2: I, I should have said this earlier, welcome back. Yeah, it's great to have you back here.
0: It's great to be back at SUNY and uh, We really thank SUNY Broom for letting us record here. Um, you know, And we thank you, the listener, for listening to us as we go along this journey of, uh, frankly, I love movies in the real world. Uh, please give us a like and comment on your uh, any on your podcasting platform of choice, Uh so check us out on social media. We are on we are frankly I love movies on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and uh, you can check me out on uh, Letterboxed uh, at Big Walls Twenty One for any uh, recent movie reviews. And uh, we'll be back soon with the next installment of Frankly I Love Movies in the real world. Uh, until then, I'm Josh Wall
1: and I'm Lexi Cutmore. Frankly, I love movies. And frankly, I love true stories.